Welcome to the PR Resolution Podcast. I'm your host, Stella Bales. In this podcast series, I'll be interviewing experts in emerging areas of PR. We'll be taking those hot topics in public relations, dispelling any myths, breaking down the jargon, so you are completely clued up and ready to speak to your stakeholders by the time you reach the office. If you have any questions around the episode, please feel free to tweet me at Stella Bales. I'm really excited about this episode. Today, I'm interviewing James Alexander, who is the Head of Influence and Advocacy at Global Drinks Business Diageo. We met in his London office in Soho, which is actually my old stomping ground, so it was great to be back whilst I'm taking a little break from New York. But the main reason I'm excited about this episode is because James and I both have a shared interest in multi-channel campaigns and how particularly you measure those multi-channels. We actually met at the beginning of our careers when we both worked at Hill & Knowlton in London and we've stayed in touch since then. And recently we've been talking about how he is comparing his paid, earned, shared and owned activity over at Diageo. Whilst theories like the Peso model are great, I truly believe that we all learn from real examples. So when he agreed to join me on the show and share some of his work, I was over the moon. In our interview, James covers how he has developed a standardized reporting process at Diageo for multiple brands, but then also in multiple countries and through all of those different media channels too. He shares his tool stack and also the metrics that he's using to measure paid, earned, shared and owned activity. He also talks about not only how those insights from reporting are being fed into campaign plans, but also how they are helping to make budget decisions. Ultimately, if you're curious in how an international organisation like Diageo is making their marketing decisions, then this podcast is for you. So let's hear from James. I work at Diageo. I'm within the um, Europe marketing function and I'm part of a team called the Culture, Media and Futures team. So we are essentially a group of specialist functions that support the various brands that many of your listeners are, I hope and think will have heard of. So the likes of Guinness, Bailey's, Gordon's, Smirnoff. Um, so big um, alcohol beverage brands. And uh, yeah, we support the Europe fun- uh, marketing teams. I work within a team within that called the Culture and Entertainment team. And essentially the role of our team is to get people talking about our brands, um, positively advocating them. And we do that by rooting them meaningfully in culture. So one sort of major part of that will be influencer marketing, will be earned comms, some content marketing in there as well. So a suite of different things that ultimately gets people talking about our brands. So we actually started to uh, talk about this, which is where this chat actually came from, because we both have a keen interest in the Peso model, which is paid, earned, shared and owned for those of you who aren't aware of it. I just wanted to find out a little bit more from you, James, about how you guys are working with that, with activity. It sounds like almost your team is like an agency within Diageo. Is that right? That is right. We um, we often describe ourselves as being a, a support team that is operates a little bit like an agency. So you effectively have the various different brands at Diageo that work across all of Europe. And those brand teams will come to us as well as other different specialist functions. So, you know, that might be social, might be digital might be sponsorship events and yes they'll come to us for support so in that way we do work um, a little bit like an agency within um, within the business and indeed yeah the, the measurement side of things is one of the areas that I'm, I'm responsible within that. Do you work with external agencies or are you running the activity live from your team? 
Yeah, so it's a bit of a spectrum on that front. Um, in some respects, we'll be working hand in hand with a counterpart within the brand team, so a, a brand manager or a marketing manager, and they might have a particular campaign which they are briefing out to an agency, and we'll be their sort of running partner for that project. Um, so that's at sort of one far far end of that spectrum. On the very other side, yeah, sometimes we will take a proactive opportunity to a brand team, which might be a partnership, that might be influencers we're suggesting recommending, working with, or indeed taking something like an influencer strategy to a brand team, and we would then sort of hands-on work and deliver that ourselves. So um, it is a bit of both. And I would say, uh, yeah, that there isn't really a one-size-fits-all. We do, you know, a bit, of, a bit of both within that. The one-size-fits-all is the area that is so interesting with something like PESO. I mean, having the uh, acronym of PESO makes it sound quite simple, but it can be complex and different every time, I imagine, for some of those brands. So let's just think about PESO, which is paid, earned, shared and owned media. Are there campaigns where you have all of those four activities running at the same time? Absolutely. The thing about Peso for us, um, and I should sort of reverse up a little bit and say we don't run a sort of the exact Peso model. Essentially, what we're doing is an adaptation of that model. But more often than not, a typical what we would call cultural entertainment piece of activity or campaign would touch into those various different areas. It is a really, really good way to sort of boil down your outputs into specific categories. Um, so, you know, did this piece of activity manifest itself as a piece of owned content? Was it generated through a partnership that you were doing with someone else? Did it manifest itself as media coverage? And yeah, we'll often have that range happening at any given um, for any given piece of activity. I'll just clarify a bit there in terms of so what we do do if it isn't quite peso. The categories we have are there's four of them. And the first one is partnerships and collaborations. So anything that is something that we have built with a third party that we have essentially done in collaboration through an agreement, maybe a paid for partnership, would sit within that box. Um, we then have owned, and owned is the pretty straightforward one. And as far as anything that would exist on our owned brand channels, from websites all the way through to the social channels that we've got. The next category is earned social. That's where we sort of start to drift and sort of work a bit with that existing peso model. And earned social is essentially anything in social media that isn't on owned. Okay. So at the outset there, I was talking about um, you know, getting people, getting consumers talking about our brands. That is where we look to sort of capture all those data points and go, um, if a consumer on their own channels or indeed other influential channels are talking about us, we catch that under a heading of earned social. And then we have media coverage. So that is more into your sort of traditional PR space. Um, and that is editorial media um, sort of, you know, covering the work that we do. And indeed, I'm um, coming back to, to your world, Stella, in terms of coverage book is one of the tools that we have working underneath that category there. So you just mentioned coverage book being used to measure the articles. Is that correct? Yes. So do you have a number of other tools measuring the other channels? We ultimately have an agency that has helped us to develop the framework and sort of run that. So when a brand and its respective agencies um, are looking to do a piece of evaluation, they will work with our agency, which is a thousand heads. And uh, that framework is ultimately centrally coordinated by us, um, us and them. And yes, within that framework, there are a handful of different tools. 
Um, so tools we use in the business include Sprinkler, Digimind, Coverage Book, and then a bit of um, essentially sort of manual collation in terms of um, if the partners that we are working with, so under, under the heading of partnerships and collaborations, if they have generated some um, good results, we will look to sort of manually pull those across, whether it's direct from their channels or indeed getting down to the very granular level of, you know, completing sort of data points in Excel, Excel documents. But yes, like it is the combination of all of those different things coming together to give us a kind of like total picture. This sounds like quite an involved process. It could take potentially some time to put all of those different data points into the Excel spreadsheet. This might seem like a simple question, but why are you measuring in that way? What what actually happens with the outputs of this measurement program and the results? It is ultimately in service of making sure that we can have good standardised data that we can compare and contrast the work that we're doing. And as, a, as I started out on this journey, it seemed like a relatively straightforward thing to do, standardizing all the data that we've got. And, and we're, a, we're a big organization. You know, there is um, upwards of about sort of 15 brands, potentially slightly more that we do measurement for within this space. And those are 15 plus brands across a number of different countries across Europe. To be able to compare one brand's performance in one country between two campaigns, let alone to be able to compare two different brands in two different countries, um, that is a absolute monster of a job to try and get all of that information and have a standardized process into one place. And hence, I guess my opening there in terms of, yeah, it can be, it can be quite, a, quite a job. So answer to the question is, it is about standardization to enable us to do good compare and contrast. That compare and contrast in the initial instance, operates at a level of outputs. So we are talking about gathering up data that lets us know things like impressions, engagements, sentiment, some efficiency scores, uh, so like um, cost per thousands, for example. This all sits within ultimately a framework. The framework we use is an adaptation from Amec, and I know you had someone in from Amec on one of the previous podcasts. We gather all of this data under a heading of outputs. And they are, of course, only good to a certain degree. They are one measure, but of course, you know, the kind of uh, the, the noise in the industry at the moment is, you know, how can we make sure we're getting to outcomes? But I would say outputs are, as an initial run of it, a really good place to start. Getting your hands around that basic data, how much did you pay and what were the outputs is an important job and shouldn't be skipped in, uh, in the interest of getting to the outcome side of things. However, it is not purely about the outputs that all of this standardized data gathering takes place. So we then feed that data into our econometric modeling to see if we can find trends that look between does all of these impressions engagements that we've generated actually result in the most important metric, which is driving sales. And so you're looking for correlations between the two increases, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, I'm, I'm sensitive to the fact that, um, and again, I remember in one of your previous podcasts, you um, made a point around this um, part of what you're trying to do here about sort of demystifying and decoding this sort of world of measurement and analysis. So um, as an aside, do stop me if I start to get too jargon heavy <laughs> and um, if something doesn't make sense. But it might be worth just... Um, 
pausing and stopping a bit on the econometrics side of things, um, just to explain that out. Yes, please do. It's not something that is a normal line of measurement in a lot of agencies or I guess in some brands as well. So yeah, please do share. Econometrics or indeed the other name that's sometimes given to it that's a not dissimilar practice is called MMM or mixed market modelling. And that is ultimately a, a sort of methodology, a measurement methodology that looks to go, what of all of the total marketing spend and activities you are doing correlates most against what is driving your sales at a particular point in time? So in its most crude and simple form, if you could go and isolate out one piece of activity, so let's say your advertising, could you then see a correlation with your sales going up around the time that was happening? And of course, the marketing world that we live in at the moment is there are loads of different factors that can obviously ultimately affect and drive your sales. So that can be anything from some of the core marketing practices, advertising, you know, being one, through to things like price promotions being another, all the way through to things like the weather. Um, so take one of our brands, something like PIMS, which is very obviously a, a seasonal um, seasonal product. You know, we would want to see, you know, is it the price promotion? Is it the activity? Or indeed, was it the weather that was driving um, our activity the hardest? And, you know, we, we can quickly drift into areas of then getting into artificial intelligence to go and say, well, you know, what of these things should we do next time in order to determine, you know, what would be the best thing to go and drive a drive sale? But so if that is the sort of um, the, the, the headlines on what economic modeling is. What we've done from a um, earned and comms um, culture and culture entertainment perspective is to see looking at our outputs of the work, so counting up some of those granular level metrics like your impressions and so on, and see are there correlations or does that um, contribute towards a higher return on investment with so many different aspects in that mix like the weather, like, you know, advertising might be running at the same time. Clearly, it can be very difficult to drill down, particularly if you're, you know, operating in some cases of not a huge budget to go, you know, was it my piece of activity that was helping to drive that? But where the, um, the, the modeling gets quite sophisticated, and I have to say it's not an expertise of mine, I know about the process rather than um, sort of what happens under the bonnet. What we do start to get is data back that will say, when you are running this activity, in combination with some really good, you know, above the line or out of home or whatever it might be, you might find that the um, the ROI increases around those periods. So you might say, right, let's make sure that, you know, and it's a, it's a bit of a statement of the obvious, but make sure your marketing is uh, considered, you know, at one point reaching the right consumer rather than disparate with disparate mes- uh, messages going at different times. It's such an amazing process. But like you said, if you're spending a substantial amount of budget on marketing across many channels, you need those kind of insights. How long have you, your team slash Diageo as a whole been measuring marketing in this way and how long you've been able to get these insights back into making decisions I guess. I guess my journey doing the role that I do I'm at Diageo which is the the, you know um, it's a part of my job albeit not my full job looking after and being across the measurement side of the um, cultural entertainment work that process has been going for pretty much 18 months maybe slightly longer Prior to that time, obviously there was measurement taking place. However, there wasn't; um, it wasn't standardised, and it was also not as credible as it is now. And, and what I mean by that is um, the quality of the data that we are looking at wasn't as good. And, and that maybe might be worth a point coming back to in a little bit. But essentially, eighteen months, and of course, you know, it, it's tough because throughout all of the period of that eighteen months, 
the process is constantly evolving. So we might go and say, right, this is one type of metric that we've decided we're going to use right now. And then three months later, there might be a new tool or indeed there might be something that will change on some of the social media platforms or the access to the data you can get. And you'll suddenly go, right, we're going to go and change that metric. So, of course, everything changes moving forward. And, of course, any data that you've got in the existing uh, database uh, at that time then needs to be go back and, and sort of change. So it is a challenging process to be able to ultimately get to a place where you can suddenly go and say, right, we now have a really, really good bank of data for us to go and look at and um, pull insights from and sort of change and move it as it moves forward. To answer your question, it is um, about 18 months. It has been evolving as we, um, as we go there. But we now do start to have some of that basic output data that we can compare and contrast. So we might have a given brand in a given country that we can look at. So let's say we've got Gordon's in Great Britain, and we can look at how much has been spent and then break that down across its various work streams. So we might have had a particular campaign around some summer activity. We might also be running a um, press office at the same time. We might have a dedicated always-on influencer program. What we can start to do is look at each of those different lines look at how much we were spending on those and seeing was one of them, uh, did it have half the amount of spend of the next one and did it deliver twice the amount of the outputs? And um, that's taken us time. So that's taken us 18 months. We still need to make sure we've got good data in there. But that is when we can start to get to a really good place and go, right, let's kill the kind of, you know, second or third activity, which just isn't driving as much of an output as some of the other bits in there. So have you made changes to activity based on the last 18 months research and analysis? Absolutely. I'll be honest and say it is more at the smaller granular level rather than the sort of macro wholesale um, level. You know, we've not suddenly said, right, we're killing all press offices or not doing any more influencer activity or doing more of it. It will tend to be campaign to campaign. But absolutely, yeah, that, that data is starting to come in and we're starting to make some of those shifts. I think one thing it's worth touching on and just back to that, um, the AMEC model and, and, and where a lot of the centre of gravity around the measurement conversation is at the moment is this infamous outcomes versus outputs. For me, it's a bit of a, a two-sided coin on this. You know, on the one hand, we are also on a drive to get better outcomes. So looking at bespoke studies, bespoke bits of um, measurement that go, did this piece of activity deliver against its original objective versus doing another piece of activity. And you know where, where you can start to get some interesting places is we have found instances where the outputs look very good. So we get good cost efficiency. We're spending you know, X amount, but delivering disproportionately higher amount of reach and engagements and, and good sentiment. However, it may not have driven the outcome that we we're originally going for. And so that's just, you know, like being able to tease those two things apart. Um, and this is where, you know, you can't be beholden to the outputs. It's about having a good look at both sides of that coin and make, and, you know, then making balanced decisions of what should be in or out, um, you know, moving forward. I think it's really important not to skip past that because I know that certainly when I was looking at measurement at the beginning of my career and it was all just about counting up number of articles and large site-wide figures and then having a big celebration and once you handed in that giant coverage book and then that was it because we saw it as a success because we smashed our KPIs on those small output levels 
and then not really looking at the outcome. So, you know, maybe that celebration might have been a little bit too soon. <laughs> and it's just really important to, that's why the likes of Amec are trying to sort of push that. So it's really interesting to hear that sometimes they don't match up, which is good because then I guess you can then look at the KPIs um, and revise those. Just hearing you speak about your role at Diageo and what's involved in the measurement process, I mentioned right at the beginning of this podcast that we actually know each other already. We used to work many, many years ago to, together at the same agency, um, be it in different departments, but we both used to work at Hill and Knowlton a long, long time ago. <laughs> and your role seems quite different to that role back then in, in uh, Hill and Knowlton being a PR agency. How did you get to the role that you're in right now, uh, which which is very data-driven and focused on measurement. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey? Yeah, and you know what? I um, often find myself sort of asking or at least wondering that same question <laughs> because I, I'm not sure which door I walked in at one point and ended up here. But, yeah, it, it is one of those things that has been just a kind of evolution. I mean, I so, yeah, you talk back to H&K days, which is pretty much where it all began. Um, strangely, even before that, it was my first job was working for a rugby agent who was managing a handful of the England rugby players around the time of the World Cup in 2003. And that was my sort of first foray into sort of, you know, marketing as, as an industry, or at least the sponsorship side of things. So it was from there, and that was a sort of internship job I had, I wound up at H&K in the sports marketing and sponsorship team. That was my first introduction to um, the PR side of things. Essentially, I was in that team for seven years I then saw an opportunity, which is more of a business opportunity. Hill & Knowlton, like many agencies, all agencies were, you know, finding themselves spending increasingly more on content production. And essentially we were seeing that money going out the door to other sort of suppliers. So I um, created a in-house content production team, um, which had the catchy name of audiovisual content and production, should have unbranded that a bit better. <laughs> but yeah, spent three years doing that. And so essentially moved into a content role at that point. And then, yeah, that was now about four years ago. Um, I, um, I shifted there and came across to Diageo, which is um, where I have been since then. A few iterations in the team that I'm in right now used to be called the Influence and Advocacy Team. And essentially, again, we, we evolved that to become a broader cultural entertainment team, as I touched on at the, um, at the outset there. And yeah, it, it was one of those genuine cases of as we were divvying up the roles and responsibilities within this function, someone suddenly said, right, who's going to deal? Who's going to pick up the measurement and evaluation side of things? Seems like a long time ago, but I think my hand sort of was compelled to go up in the air. The rest is history. I would never have myself down as a sort of measurement or analytics person, certainly not prior to um, doing, doing the role that I'm doing right now. I would say that what I do have a preoccupation with, I really like to make sure that if we do have a specific challenge or opportunity that the brand is facing and we go, could our department be a good solution, provide a good opportunity for that given challenge? And I will sort of spend a lot of time going, well, you know, does this activity deliver against that objective? So can, you know, dare I say, even get bogged down in going, you know, what are 
the KPIs that we will set around that piece of activity. And I'm quite sort of structured and organized in terms of the way I go about my work. So I would say that thing is something that I've always had. And so wanting to get to the sort of nub of whether or not something was working or whether that could be improved or it's the right thing to do full stop, I think that's where the sort of the core of it is with me. And yeah, then being able to sort of break all the work down to its constituent parts and its granular level sort of, um, you know, either pieces of coverage through to engagements all the way through to going, did this sort of shift consumer behaviour is, yeah, the the journey I've been on over the last 14 and and a bit years. Were you involved in measurement or analysis in your previous roles? No, not beyond the kind of standard process of, you know, um, concluding bits of work and, and putting them through a, you know, a, a standard reporting process. But n- none of that would be anything as sort of thorough as the work that I am doing right now. And dare I say it, like, you know, some of the work we do is very sophisticated. The, you know, the econometric modelling work is sophisticated and we have developed a specific methodology to extract everything in a standardised way across all the bits of business in a credible way into econometric modeling. So that, you know, that, that is sophisticated and, you know, getting right to that far end of what is the impact of the work. But I have to say, you know, a lot of the work is the basics. It is about um, standardizing approaches, getting people talking the same language, getting people to understand the basics. Did a piece of activity deliver against what it was trying to do? I went to a PR week conference around measurement about a year ago and I am sensitive to the fact they um they operate on the Chatham House rules so I'll make sure I don't say anything too sensitive or, or name any names but there was a Q&A at the end of it the kind of focus of the conversation that we were having was around this you know we need to make sure that we've got better outcomes because there are more credible conversations to be having at a higher level within the business to um demonstrate the value of you know of, of the function that you're operating in but I would say that the the consensus in the room and, you know, there are a lot of people that, you know, were not operating on really big budgets with really big brands. Some of these would be sort of, you know, smaller scale press office functions that, to be quite frank, don't have the kind of budgets that working in a company like Diageo, we've got a good budget to get to the bottom of, you know, the, the output of the work. And I would say their focus or a lot of the focus in the room was they needed the basics You know, they needed straightforward tools that can give them a good measure about whether or not their work is being picked up somewhere. And that is, albeit on a large scale with a multinational business with many, many brands across a number of different markets, but that is what a lot of my time is spent doing. So when I see a report come through that will sort of trickle through my inbox, um, (laughs) I will grab it. And if I see there's an agency, you know, saying X billion people report, you know, estimated reach or whatever saw this work or opportunities to see. My job is to go and try and nip those in the bud and say, guys, use the correct framework. Don't have unnecessarily high figures that are just meaningless to people going through your reports. Mm -hmm. So it really is on a job of kind of, you know, a standardized approach, get everyone working that approach. And that is where you get your good data that you can then sort of, you know, take insights from and start to make changes. So I guess just using an example like that, are you able to share any of the metrics that you you have used to standardise that process? So I can. What we've tried to do is create one single metric, which is a proxy for reach. We call that visibility. And um, irrespective of the various different categories that I was just talking across there, so whether it's from a partnership or a collaboration, whether or not it's in earned social, whether it's on our own channels, 
or, um, and again back to coverage book, from a media coverage perspective, we have one metric called visibility, which is a standardized unit of reach. That's a really, really key metric for us. And the thing that we try to do on that one, um, so that, that is just our general proxy for reach. So that way, if I see a piece of activity and I look at that number and I go, how much was paid? And what did that deliver? That is probably the most basic unit of output measurement that we try to look at. Where that gets a bit more sophisticated is we have put in a lot of effort to make that unit equivalent to paid impressions. So if I'm dealing with a paid media team or indeed advertising or a social team running a separate campaign and they are saying X you know, thousand, X million people saw this, the data that we are talking about is comparable and contrastable to that different data point. And um, I mean, you, you'll be familiar with this. It's a real gripe of mine when um, I see a report come through the business and this does happen that will say, you know, have a reach number or an opportunities to see, which will say X hundred million or indeed up into the billions. And I understand that, you know, the agencies, the individuals involved there might be taking a monthly uniques invariably um, from websites or indeed opportunities to see on social, but you really can't take a lot from that data. And working within marketing, ultimately in, in Diageo, putting a figure of a billion into a report will not go down well, particularly if you're then looking at someone who's dealing with media spenders, not dealing with, you know, you know, it does nothing for our credibility to say, I spent half the amount that advertising did, but I delivered a reach in inverted commas of something that was 50 times larger. So standardizing that process is kind of one of the sort of key metrics that we have in there. Beyond that, it is kind of the, the usual stuff. So we look at things like engagement, we look at sentiment scores, we've got an efficiency score, which is, I won't go into the details of it, but it's essentially a cost per thousand based on the earned impressions. And yeah, we've got a suite of those standardized metrics that we look at irrespective of what the activity was trying to deliver. So it may not be trying to deliver significant reach or engagement or, or something else, but it is a way of standardizing. And that then is just really key because that gives us that base level compare and contrast. Of course, the pushback that comes with that is someone will say, well, I've got a very specific thing that my activity is trying to deliver against. Um, and that's not a good proxy for whether or not this has been successful. So the framework that we've put together is essentially split into two. You've got the standardized metrics, which are the ones that we just talked about, and then campaign specific. And that is where the brand team, the agency, the individuals working on that have got a much greater bandwidth to go and say, well, what would be a good measure of whether or not that um, piece of activity was performing? So if for us we had a campaign that was around um, changing someone's perception of liquid quality, so that's being jargon, the, the perception of the actual alcoholic beverage. And so you could go and say, well, let's go and do a study to see if people's perception of that drink has changed and they think it's a higher quality as a result of doing this work and then look to then compare that with some of the, the standardised metrics as well. How does earned activity and media relations fare in this kind of measurement and comparing some of the earned in comparison to paid, for example? You just talked about those big numbers, trying to move away from those in the way that you've standardised. How does the activity fare? 
so yeah, that was like one of the um, holy grails of doing this activity was to try and get to that place where you could say pound for pound, what of these is performing better or worse than another pound spent in paid media? The answer is a bit of both, right? So there are some campaigns that we operate whereby the efficiency of spend on your earned is more efficient than your paid. And, and of course, we get vice versa in that. And that is like where you start to get to really crucial insight stage because you can start to then go, why was that? What was that piece of activity doing that managed to deliver that? That really is the kind of like the, the sort of holy grail we've tried to get it to, to go and, you know, to drill down to that places. And it's, it's a bit of both. Um, and then looking at the results of activity and also the way that you measure the success of that activity, who do you need to communicate those results to? Is it back to agencies? Is it within the business? If it is within the business, are they different levels? Is everyone within marketing? Do they understand the metrics you're using? It's just really interesting to know how you communicate the successes. Yeah, I mean, and, and again, this is one of the challenges of working in what is ultimately a large and matrixed organization um, like Diageo, lots of brands, lots of different functions within marketing. But ultimately, we are a team that is in service of brand and brand teams. So um, I need to make sure that when we are dealing with ultimately people who run those brands across Europe, that they are the ones who um, yeah, get that data and can use it to inform decisions making for, uh, moving forward. We have been investing in some like really, really good broader um, M&E tools and um, systems. Um, m and &E is acronym for measurement and evaluation. All of the work I do is ultimately under a bracket of m and &E, in inverted yeah. commas. And yeah, so we've been investing in um, lots of great and sophisticated tools that ultimately use artificial intelligence um, to go and say, if you take all of the constituent parts, so it's a bit like the sort of conversation around um, econometric modeling, can we go and sort of, you know, if every piece of activity that we are doing is being measured, can we get some sort of big data processing to start recommending, not just saying what delivered a stronger ROI, actually what should we be turning up or down um, in, in, in um, future activities. Now, that tool is ultimately sitting within um, our consumer planning, consumer, uh, sorry, in our measurement and evaluation teams. So it'll be working with brand teams, working with those teams, and then indeed just other sort of stakeholders within the business. So for example, we've got customer marketing teams who will be dealing you know, directly with some of the um, customers, uh, retailers that we'll be selling our products to. Um, and again, they might be interested in knowing, you know, they'll have their own methods of evaluation, but if indeed some of the um, customers are looking to use our social channels to communicate a promotion, again, they might be interested in it as well. So it's a pretty broad church of um, individuals, but ultimately coming back to, um, you know, brand teams. So just thinking about the audience there that you're sending those insights back to, do you flex how you're communicating those insights? Do all of those parties look at the detail behind the measurement or are they literally just getting a snapshot of here's the summary and here's what you should do with the activity or are they gaining all of the metrics? Yeah, the, the job, and this comes back to the standardisation piece, we, we have a scorecard which is kind of like, you know, got the, the, the focus of that is on those standardised metrics. And I'm trying to do a job right now to make sure that becomes part of the sort of business vernacular around the work that we do and the measurement evaluation. So if we can start to get people just locked into those so that when they suddenly go, right, we spent X and it delivered Y, they get a very quick picture of, okay, you know, this was either performing really well or there was a problem there. 
So that is the kind of like the, the first sort of level of communication to them. We then also do sort of quarterly reports. So we'll look to try and get data from across the business. And this is just, you know, different brands in different countries all crunched together to then pull out sort of, you know, some broader insights there. So, for example, we had a brand that was operating in Spain last year that had really, really efficient and effective spend against influencer marketing. So that line in the report was just like standing out. So that was one where we could then sort of drill down and go, um, you know, why was that? Did we just get lucky there? Were the influencers just really engaging? Is it a different market in Spain? And just is it a more engaging medium? So, yeah, I will then pick out different bits, you know, to share with those, those relevant stakeholders there. But no, ultimately, it is about trying at the moment to get people attuned to a really standardized core data set um, that people know and understand. And I think once we've got to that point, it will be then sort of broadening it out. Let's bear in mind you have worked agency side and now you're in-house. How much do you think it's the agency's job to pull some of these insights out in reporting? So really good question. Because we are doing a big job of trying to make sure we have got our house in order centrally, I do sometimes think that some of the agencies we work with just go, all right, Diageo is now doing all of that. So we'll just make sure we go and complete coverage book and complete, you know, make sure everything else is gathered in the other places. And suddenly, you know, the computer will go and spit out what the result is. But no, it's a it's a message I'm sort of pushing back on and saying this is a 50-50 job. And, you know, the old adage of you will get out what you put in. And of course, you know, we are only talking about ultimately a framework using tools to crunch data. It's down to the brand team's. Um, and the agencies to be really clear about, you know, what is the, the challenge they're facing? What is the role that cultural entertainment is going to play against that? How will we know if that has succeeded? There is no centralised agency that can determine all of that. So um, it really needs to be um, a sort of marriage of the two and both leaning in as much as they can. Otherwise, you will have a bit of a um, static data set that won't give you any true insights. And essentially, these insights are then feeding decisions into how that activity should roll out over the coming months and how budgets should be shared, I imagine. Yeah, 100%. It's really key that, you know, people go and sort of lean in really hard on this space. And yeah, you know, they will, they will get out what they put in. Good message there for everyone to remember who's in public relations and tackling measurement. Um, just finally, you have really progressed your career from being a part of an agent to then going to a PR agency, working in sponsorship, now really focused in measurement. And it seems that you've become very analytical um, and you've taken a keen interest in measurement. What are you reading or have you got any tips for people who want to develop their own skills in measurement? How did you find that you've progressed? Funny thing about this, I sort of stumbled into the role so it didn't sort of come from a sort of you know a, a pre-existing interest that I then went after so a lot of the, the learning that I've had is just sort of on the job but um but I would say you know the first and foremost like anyone who works ultimately within um, uh, marketing should have a curiosity for does their work deliver and, you know, it's an area that can be really confusing. It is jargon heavy. It does and it can get um, very complex. It shouldn't be because ultimately this stuff is like, you know, it boils the outcome you're trying to drive is ultimately a simple behavior change. And so I would say, you know, be curious, 
and do challenge and ask questions and back to the previous point, you know, really interrogate and make sure you're getting as much out as you can from the reports that you that you work on. But that said, I mean, there are a few different resources I use. So uh, we mentioned earlier, um, Amec is just the most brilliant resource. We have, you know, taken essentially an adaptation of their framework, which is now being deployed across what is probably a um, total stakeholder list of um, upwards of 250 people in terms of internal and agencies. And that was just literally, you know, taking their best practice. They've got lots and lots of very, very bright people um, who really know their stuff from a measurement perspective. So use that. And, and again, other good industry resources. So from, you know, whether or not that is your PR weeks and CIPRs, lots of great stuff there. And then just generally um, tr- trade press is obviously really good. Um, so make sure on social media, you know, you're following individuals who sort of know their stuff from a measurement perspective. The other thing I would say is um, there are so many great tools out there. Having conversations, you know, with the people that are creating those and are trying to sell them is good because that will suddenly pull you into an area to go, these guys' area of interest is whether or not your um, website is converting sales or, you know, whether or not your um, your PR coverage has got links in there, which is driving to, you know, a um, an e-commerce platform. And so those kind of conversations as well will suddenly find you pulling you in a different direction you hadn't necessarily thought of. Um, so yeah, it's a combination of the above. Yeah, it's really interesting, especially that last one. There's so many variations on tools. Sometimes PR tech can look similar from just looking at the websites, but I think you're right. If you start to talk to the people behind the scenes, you can see where they've come from and why the tool is in the place that it is in today. So yes, do talk to your vendors. Good shout. And also a good one on Amec. And just a reminder for people that Amec Measurement Month is coming up in November. So no matter what market you're in, there will be activity events and content coming out on that so yeah some good tips there well thank you it's just absolutely fascinating insight into how a huge global brand like Diageo actually goes into measuring those different channels of marketing and how others can follow in that way because I'm sure PR is going to continue to move into those different channels of marketing so um, absolutely fascinating thank you so much for your time today no thank you it's been great to great to be on What a fascinating insight into Diageo. It just shows how important measurement is when we're feeding our marketing plans and making those big budget decisions. I just wanted to run through a couple of points that James made in that chat, just so we can all take learnings from this conversation and put them into our own plans. So the first point I just wanted to cover was the Payzone model. James made a really good point about how they use a version of that framework. So just as a reminder, that's the paid, earned, shared and owned model. You would have seen this. It's on a lot of talks in the industry. In fact, Jeannie Dierich from SpinSuck's site, which is a great PR blog based in Chicago, they actually put a really good diagram together, which really outlines the model. So that's the framework that a lot of people are talking about in the industry. Now, James learned about that framework and adapted it for their own standardization and way of reporting. And I think that's a really good point as a takeaway for all of us to realize that frameworks, models, theories are out there being talked about a lot in the industry, but it's for us to take inspiration from those and then put it into our own work. You will never be able to just take an exact copy of a framework as the blueprint and use it in everything that you do. Because verticals are different, campaigns are different, because we all have different objectives. 
but there's some brilliant inspiration out there. And I think that's just a really important one. Just on the Pezo model, I'm going to visit Jean Dietrich, who came up with that framework. I'm going to see her in Chicago in two weeks. I can't wait for that. So keep a lookout for that podcast episode. It will be coming out very soon. Another point I wanted to cover, which was a great one from James, again on that similar level of taking a version of, of a framework. So James said that he uses the AMEC measurement framework as part of the basis of the way that they measure. Again, same point as before, use these frameworks and the information out there in the industry, which there is a lot of, as an inspiration and as a great start point into your own frameworks. You'll be finding that you can look at different types of metrics from advice from different experts in the field. It's great, but they might not all be the right metrics for you. Some of my background was a specialist area of SEO PR. And so in a book that I wrote, I went through various metrics such as domain authority and search positions and natural search traffic as good data points. That's not going to be relevant for all verticals. But it's brilliant for online comms or retail, for example. That's just an example, but there's millions of metrics out there that you could use. But what I'm saying is, is just look at the inspiration out there and then apply it to your own vertical and your own type of comms. Another point that James made, uh, which is a really great one for us to consider, is outputs versus outcomes. Again, AMEC, which is the measurement industry body, would always say that we need to be looking at those two levels. And we do, because without outcomes, we don't know whether we're actually making a difference to our organisations or businesses that we are PRing. But as James said, you really have to start with the outputs from activity. Don't get too excited and try and skip to the outcome because you need to start with that initial data of the outputs to be able to get to the outcome. So don't jump to the outcomes and think, okay, we made a massive change to the business without looking at those outputs first, because you might find that they don't correlate. And then you'll need to change your activity if you do learn that. So outputs as a first stage and really get your head into that initial data. Start simple, count the amount of articles as a first step, count the amount of key messages, count the amount of branded images that you got in your coverage. These might seem like really simple data points, but they're super important to just get your head around whether you were a success in your particular campaign or not. You can then get into a deeper level of metrics after that, but really do start in a simple way. Another great point that James made is the output that's, that he looks at and now standardised across Diageo. Now, the reason why they were doing that is so they could compare various campaigns across multiple brands and compare the activity and contrast whether one type of activity was more successful than another. The only way they could do that was by that standardization. And what he means by that is using the same set of metrics in the same count, in the same way across all of those points of activity, across all of the brands, no matter what country they were in. So that was a really, really important point. However, as we all know, every campaign brief has a different objective. So in your standardizations, don't lose sight of that. What I would recommend is having maybe a primary and secondary set of KPIs. For instance, if you had a campaign that had an event that was involved in it and for that particular campaign, ticket sales was an important objective of that activity. 
But that was a one-off. Sometimes most of your other campaigns are much more brand awareness-led. Now, with that, you just want to make sure that you're still using that standard set of metrics in terms of article count, estimated coverage views, uh, social shares, whatever metrics you decide are important as that standard set across the board. But then introduce another secondary set of KPIs, such as ticket sales, such as traffic to the ticket sales site, for example. So really make sure that you're looking at those areas and you're not missing a trick. A great place to start with metrics across the board and that standardization piece as an example for article level metrics is estimated coverage views now you can get estimated coverage views in coverage book the tool that i work on and that's also the tool that diageo has introduced as a way of measuring all of their articles and their media relations now we're not saying that that is the only metric you can use in the industry but it's a good place to start and it's working for Diageo and James and across all of their brands in their European market. So looking at just one really keeps it simple. So whichever one you choose to use, that's the way to keep a standard. Finally, as you know, I always promise to try and not use too much jargon in this podcast. So I had to return to one point that James mentioned, which was econometrics. So that is a part of the measurement that Diageo uses and some of James' teams get involved in too. So econometrics is also known as MMM, Mixed Market Modelling. And essentially what it does is look at the results of any marketing activity and correlates it with, hopefully correlates it, with an overall business goal. For Diageo, this is sales in products, but it could be any other goal for your particular business or organisation that you are doing communications for. So find out what that is if you don't have it already. Then you want to be looking at your results and seeing if there's a way that they are matching up at all. Now, obviously for Diageo, as James mentioned, they are in a fortunate position where they can put budget to this. They also have various teams going into that research and looking for those correlations. But there are ways you can do this even if you don't have that big budget and you don't have external teams helping you. So something that I used to look at for my clients, so it was a slightly smaller level than econometrics, but you may want to take this into consideration. I used to look at Google Trends to see if we had made our target audience take action in any way. So here's an example. I used to work on a drinks brand too slightly smaller than some of the brands that James was talking about but we used to run a number of events and with that we did a lot of marketing activity and PR articles and social activity. Now what I used to do is just after all of the activity had gone out I'd go to Google Trends and put in the event name which is a very unique name and I'd look to see if there'd been an increase in interest on Google around that. So what Google Trends would look at is looking at anyone searching for that particular term that you've put into Google Trends. It will just show you a graph line going up or not at all if there hasn't been enough searches. It's a really simple thing to do. But what you can do is if there has been a spike around a particular topic or brand name or event name that you have been pushing through your activity... You can then look at the dates of that increase and that spike and layer on some of your activity or some of the times that your articles or social campaigns went live. Very simple thing to do. Google Trends is free, but it just proves that you are starting to achieve some of those overall goals and outcomes rather than just looking at the initial outputs. 
If you wanted to go a step further and look at a bit more detail than just Google Trends, I also used to use a tool called Search Metrics, um, and that looks at overall Google search results and other search engines. So you, again, you could put in a term and it would give you a much more detailed graph of the exact date of searches of that particular keyword or topic and related ones as well. So you're really capturing any kind of interest in that. Again, it sometimes pulls out some key news stories, which we'd find would be our generated PR stories. So again, it's just really making that correlation nice and clear for your reports. So there's a couple of examples, but again, that was really useful for driving awareness of a particular event online. And that was our objective. But really have a look at what your overall objective is and match those outputs and outcomes. This is the PR Resolution Podcast. Keep in touch by following me on Twitter at Stella Bales. For more reading on PR, head to blog.coveragebook.com. Don't forget to tune in to the next episode and make sure you subscribe to the series on iTunes now. See you there.